Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello! Hello! You seen the sad news today that Leslie Phillips has died? I did see that. So sad. Ding dong! Yeah. Oh, he was the voiceover on our old late night radio show. He was. Which. At the time, that was exciting. And yeah, now, yeah, yeah. looking back, how incredible that we got an actual legend to be the voice of our silly show. It was brilliant. Um, I'm sure that I am infringing any number of copyrights here, but just for old time's sake. To touch is to feel. To feel is to know. To know is to believe. Time has come to touch, feel, and believe. Believe, believe. This is this is the Jeff Show on Virgin Radio. Wasn't that nice? Oh. Little, nice little blast from the past that there. Took me back. Yeah, oh, that was really good. That. Yeah, it was great. good, wasn't it? It was a good show. Yeah, yeah. Of all the ones we did, I, that, that was my favourite one. But um, yeah, and I didn't never got to know him very well, but I met him a few times because he would come in during the day mm. and record those voiceovers and we'd be on at night, obviously, so our paths would seldom cross. But whenever they did, he just seemed like the loveliest man. Mm. And our old producer, Vince, who would make all that stuff, I mean, they, they had a great friendship. Yeah, yeah. They used to go out for lunch, I think, after he recorded those. He'd sit, he would record any old stream of consciousness nonsense <laughs> that came out of Vince's incredible, weird, creative brain. Yeah. And uh, and then Vince would buy him a cup of tea and he'd forget all about what he'd said. Right. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, what a what a uh, lovely man and what a legend and grand old age, 98. Oh, wow, yeah. So it's one of those, isn't it, 98, where you just think, oh. It's like Sarah's grandma died at nearly 99 and... In a way, it's worse than dying at 92. She's that close to 100. Yeah. Why does that matter? Well, you used to get a telegram from the Queen, don't you? But Yeah, yeah, but not now. No, don't get it, we don't get it from the Queen anymore. No. Does he send telegrams, King Charles? No idea. We don't know, do we? Um, and Leslie Phillips, I share a birthday with him. Is that right? It is right, Ooh. yeah. And, you know, I'm starting to worry if there's a curse for people born on the same day as me because there was, there was first there was Adolf Hitler, <laughs> uh, then... Leslie Phillips. Oh. And there's only really me and uh, Nicholas Lindhurst left, I think. And two of those are dead, so it sounds like... This is what I mean. Yeah, it's going to happen to you It's the curse of the 20th point. of April. Yeah, yeah. 
So, um, so R.I.P. Wonderful Leslie Phillips and Bill Treacher as well today. I didn't know that. Yeah, You're breaking this to me now. Oh, I'm sorry. Really? I mean, actually, I'm pleased because you know it's always good to get a reaction in real time. But... Hold on a minute. Are you sure? Did he not die years ago? I think it was today. Okay, okay. There were certainly a number of tweets about it. Oh, okay. The no, no, EastEnders okay. paying tribute to him. But I thought he died years ago. You're not thinking of the character Arthur Fowler because there know, was a, there was yeah. a bench uh, dedicated to him. No, there we go. 53 minutes ago, it was reported by the oh. BBC. 59 minutes ago by Sky News. Presumably paying a bit uh, faster and looser with their confirming their sources. Oh. I felt like it was a big feature. Oh, one hour ago from the... T- yeah, me too. Me too. Um, you know... I don't remember much about the character of Arthur Fowler other than that. I think he was quite henpecked by Paulie and his wife was, yeah. and his mother-in-law, Lou Beale. Mm-hmm. A terrible time with some of the stuff Michelle and Mark got up to. Yeah. And then, of course... Don't, it's too painful to talk about. Mm. You're going to bring it up. My heart aches, the thought of it. Christmas Club money. Christmas Club money when he had that breakdown. In and then the sub- subsequent shed. breakdown, yeah. Oh, and God. And I think it was one of the earliest depictions we saw of um, you know, mental health problems on television. Yeah, probably. Yeah. The first one I remember. Yeah. And it is, you know, looking back on that, I think probably what EastEnders weren't trying to do was uh, to get all the kids to go to school the next day and do impressions of it. I think they were hoping to handle it sensitively and raise it as an issue. But they were, maybe they were pioneers in a way. Yeah, yeah. But there was a tendency with those things. It was well meaning. Mm. Similarly, the documentary John's Not Mad, where perhaps some of the viewers of these very uh, serious issues um, weren't mature enough to take it in. But mm. it, sinks, it sinks in, doesn't it, over yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. I don't feel proud. Got to start somewhere. Don't feel proud of imitating Arthur Fowler rocking backwards and forwards now, mm. which probably did well into my, uh, I want to say 30s. Oh, no. <laughs> Even as somebody with quite intense mental health problems, felt okay because he was a fictional character. Yeah. But don't you remember that people got so confused between the fictional character and the actor that they sent money to the actor to help like pay back some of the Christmas plug money? Like he got loads of money sent to him. Is that right? Yeah, by people who were just so upset by it. Did he do Chokey as well, Arthur, Arthur Fowler? I think he did go to prison. Yeah, in the big house, is? yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> okay. he was in the big house, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. for a bit, yeah. Yeah. He wasn't brutalised in any way. Well, maybe he was, I don't they, know. They didn't show, he didn't depict it if he was. Oh, good, because, yeah. you know... School kids yeah. doing impersonations that wouldn't be good, would it? Um, but it's, it's, it's like Leslie uh, Leslie Phillips mm. and Bill Treacher the same day. That is extraordinary. Um, and what I like about that, I mean, obviously, I'd like them both to still be with us. Mm. I I always hoped that both Leslie Phillips and Bill Treacher would live forever. Of course, that was always my hope. Yeah. But I feel that they are at a level of celebrity whereby very different careers, very different, mm. but something about their, their level of celebrity in 2022 meant that one's death hasn't cancelled out the others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's not like Leslie completely overshadowed the passing of Bill. Right. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As yeah. has happened. Mm. I can't bring an example to mind, but I feel that has happened in the past. i trying to think if that would happen to me. Basically, I think... And anybody would overshadow me at this point. Mm. I think if that traffic and travel guy from Radio 2 who got voted off strictly after two weeks died the same day as me, he'd he'd get all the coverage. He'd been on Strictly, of course he would. Yeah. Maybe one of the two guys off my dad wrote a porno. 
<laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> not her, not Alice Thingy. I don't, I don't like, know. No? Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah, but um, but that's not why I'm living anyway. No, no. To see how many column inches I can get uh, on, on my passing. I'm sure it's not what you're often thinking about, is it? <laughs> is it? <laughs> no. Good. Uh, how's your week been? It's all right, yeah. Went to London Zoo, went to fireworks. How did you get fireworks yeah. at the zoo? That's not good. Animals are scared no. of fireworks. <laughs> two different, two different things. Two different. I seem to remember you being a bit judgy with me for going to the zoo recently. No, nope. no. Nope. It was when you went to the circus. <laughs> <laughs> it was the remaining dancing bear. <laughs> yeah, it, it was as old as Leslie Phillips. I was a bit judgy then. No, no, uh, no, not at all. Um, oh, I thought you had. Oh, no. we, when when we were away, we went to Chicago Aquarium, which is a very good aquarium. Oh, there is a dolphin show, and I'm looking, thinking, I don't know, there's much, much room for dolphins. And then they mentioned in one of the commentaries, they mentioned the, I don't know if it was the largest or the rarest or the somethingest something creature in captivity. And I thought, oh, captivity. <laughs> It's not good, is it, that we just accept the word captivity? Oh, right, yeah, it's become very normalised. Yeah. yeah. It's basically prison, yeah, in prison. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't fireworks at the zoo? No, of course not, no. It's not even, I mean, most animals couldn't even have sparklers, could they? Um, sure, I'd like to see a flamingo with a sparkler in its beak. I think it would struggle. put it under its wing, maybe. No, no, it'd be going sideways. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Monkeys with sparklers, I mean, that would be funny. Mm. That must take, there must be YouTube videos, but I don't want to give them the clicks. No. I don't approve of that kind of thing. Me neither. Um, which animals had fireworks? What were you talking about? No, no, it was a separate thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was it was fireworks and I also went to London Zoo. I see, I see. We went uh, on bonfire night. I took Gene and his friend to the largest fireworks display in oh, London at Alexandra you Palace. You have to go to the biggest one. <laughs> was it not good? Here's the thing. I think I am incapable of handling anybody else's child. Oh, yeah, it's tricky. It's yeah. tiring because it feels more of a responsibility than your own child. Yeah, yeah. And it's Jean's best friend. We've known her since she was born. And um, she's lovely. But I just don't know what to I just don't know what to do with other people's kids. Like if something goes wrong, I know how to handle him. I don't know how to handle other kids. So um, you know, on the way there, I said, Oh, we're gonna have a brilliant night. I'm gonna buy you each anything you want. Like if you want one thing, what is it? And his friend says uh, that she wants um an ice cream. Mm-hmm. And he says that he wants a glow stick. Mm-hmm. So great, we get there. There's an indoor cinema showing the Lego film. Oh, wow. We watch that, then we come out. And he's going, I want my glow stick. And she's going, I want my ice cream. And I instantly realise I've made a mistake in that I've promised two different things Mm. and I have to prioritise one over the other Mm -mm. and get to the fireworks on time. Right. We see the ice cream van first. So I say, well, there's the ice cream van, then we'll get the glow sticks. The queue is 25 minutes long, at which point it starts drizzling Mm -mm. and they're squabbling. And eventually she gets uh, her ice cream just as the fireworks are starting, which means that we don't have a very good position vantage point to view the fireworks from at all. In fact, we're behind. You know, they have those um, big flashing signs, which when they're doing crowd control, which have got arrows saying this side, please. We were behind one of those. So the sky was largely obscured by that. Oh, no. Um, We watched the fireworks. They were quite unimpressed by it oh no 
and then said, right, let's go get the glow stick. And Jean's going, yay. We start walking. She goes, I've lost my hat. Oh, no. I look at her head. She has indeed lost her hat. I say, oh, no, that's so sad. Well, often with these things, they find them and you can call up the next day and they've been handed into lost property. So we can do that. We don't, don't want to do that. I want my hat or I want to go home. Oh, no. What do you do in that situation? Buy another ice cream? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I say, is it, what, what if we got you an extra glow stick? I just want my hat! Oh, no. Hattie! Oh, where's no. my hat? Oh, dear. So I say, well, maybe, maybe we could walk back to where you last had it on and mm. see if it's there. Mm, mm. Which I instantly realised is a stupid idea oh. because there were tens of thousands, if not like 100,000 people at this thing, oh, right. and they'd all, after the fireworks, traipsed in that direction where we'd come from. Mm. So if it's fallen on the floor, Mm-mm. there's not much chance of finding it. It's probably just been trampled into uh, trampled into tiny bits of wall, <laughs> trampled so much <laughs> okay, okay. that it's just been reduced to uh, to fluff. Mm. But she's oh, she's got. But you said I could get a glow stick, and I don't know what to do. And I know, like I can, um, you know, I know that I can mess him around because he's my son. <laughs> but you can't mess someone else's kid around. Mm-mm. So I say, let's go and look. And we go and look and there's nothing and she gets hysterical. And she says, I want to go home. And I'm saying, but what about the glow stick, though? You can have a glow stick. I just want to go home. And then I see it. The hat? Yeah. And you know, I'm not particularly, you know, I'm bothered about picking things up off the floor. But this thing was so disgusting. Oh. It had been a brand new pink fluffy hat. Oh, no. Imagine what that looked like after 10,000 muddy feet, 20,000 muddy feet. Oh. Had, that was thinking 10,000 people. Mm. I mean, some of them might have been, um, might have only had one leg. So yeah, yeah. I d- anyway, it's a lot of feet. Yeah, yeah. Let's not get into the specifics. Even the 10,000 was just a rough guess. Mm-hmm. I guess, guess, oh, there's a firework. Yeah, Did they hear that on the microphone? Yeah. Um, so I picked this thing up and it is... I mean, it's just revolting. She sees it and is instantly even more traumatised. Oh, I just want to go home. Well, she doesn't understand that. It's to, even to get home, to get to a position where we can get home, we have to go through these slow-moving oh crowds that Jean always refers to as a butt maze. A butt maze? Because think about it, if you're at kid level, oh, yeah. it just looks like a maze of people bottoms. <laughs> um, God, this is hellish. Oh, it is hellish. So I'm saying, okay, we'll get we'll get Jean's glow stick there. We'll get the glow stick. We'll get the glow stick, and then we'll go. So we go back to where all the stalls are, where we came in. At which point I notice there's no glow stick stall. What? I I just assumed somebody was going to be selling glow sticks. What did you? <laughs> That's the sort of thing they have at fireworks. I mean, to be these fair, days. they were giving away free at my one, but yeah, really, yeah, yeah. At the zoo? No. Which animal was giving away glow sticks? Was it a jellyfish? It wasn't at the zoo. It wasn't at the zoo. <laughs> Oh no! So, so then, so, so then, Jean is crying. You know, crying because he's got no glow stick. Then he falls over, and it's not even his fault. I mean, even the ground is really muddy and stuff. We're walking along a path, and you know, 
they've got like generators powering burger vans and things at these these type of events and they have to string wires from a generator over a path and they put stuff over the top of it in the stampede whatever had been over the top of it been kicked away so it becomes like a tripwire so gene falls over it flat on his face and he's going it's dangerous look what happened to me and i'm so incensed i'm trying to find somebody in a high-vis vest i do see somebody approximately 17 years old i go excuse me i need to speak to you there's something very dangerous up there uh, a white i'm looking at this kid's face i'm thinking mm, mm, yeah what he's going to do with this information nothing yeah nothing. it's not if, if i'd asked him to repeat back to me yeah. what i just said he wouldn't have it so then we just have this miserable walk out of there where gene's friend is going i'm never coming back here on bonfire night again and then he's going all christmas she's going all new year he's going all easter and then she goes, oh, Valentine's Day. And he's going, I'm never coming back here any day of the year. And she goes, I'm never coming back here any day of my life. And he goes, I'm never coming back here, even when I'm a ghost. <laughs> I like the creativity. And then I say, hey, white guys, why don't we focus on the good parts? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? They're not very interested in it. They want to come to the ones at the zoo. They're way better. <laughs> I didn't even see the effigy of Guy Fawkes being burnt. Oh, they didn't have that R1. Really? No, they didn't do the bonfire. <laughs> I think there was a bonfire at the one I was yeah. at, but, I mean, there were so many people and mm. it was so spread out and so confusing. I don't know where it was, but I'd love to see an effigy being burnt. Although, as you've said many times, mm. isn't it time to let it go with what Guy Fawkes? 500 years? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, is there not somebody else we could be burning? I'm sure. What about the one who, that guy who uh, drove the car into the, doors of glasgow airport didn't he didn't like get through the doors but he like drove the didn't he drive a car into the doors of glasgow airport oh, and then yeah. he was thwarted by baggage handler oh, yeah. john smeaton who said effing come on or let's have it or whatever he said can yeah. we burn an effigy of that guy yeah it's a bit more up to date some people might think it's too soon i don't know <laughs> What's the line? Where's the line, though? <laughs> if you know where the line is, email us. Hello at adriftpodcast.com. All right, Annabelle. Yes. Let us hear from drifters. We have one email this week from Andy Reynard. Oh. This story, he says, revolves around a guy who, for context, I will be referring to as a tramp. I guess it's a bit of an outdated term today, possibly mildly offensive, but in the 80s, that's what everyone called homeless men in the UK. How are you with the word tramp? Here's the thing. So I am not a homeless person, so it's not up to me to decide whether it's good language or whether Mm -hmm. it's appropriate language or not. Mm -hmm. Here's my feeling. Mm -hmm. It's... um, It hasn't been used in a derogatory way for such a long time. That it's it's like saying hobo. It conjures up for me. It conjures up an image of somebody with a bundle on a stick and bare feet riding a boxcar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe playing a harmonica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, as such, I'm fine with it. Okay. If, however, you are triggered by the um, thought of the people who've been stigmatised by the word in the past, I'm really sorry. Mm-hmm. And I, I take responsibility for that and feel angry at me, not at, at uh, Andy, you said, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. He says, 
The homeless man of the 80s seemed to be of a particular breed, however. Tramp shared a remarkable set of similarities, almost like a uniform. Brown coat tied around the middle with rope, big grey beard and wild hair. It was easy <laughs> And to- a barrel a bar- on braces. <laughs> Less common, I think, in the 80s. That was poor kind of... <laughs> 1880s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that was a great depression, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It was easy to imagine they are all part of the same talent agency sent out to every corner of Britain to shout at pigeons and growl at unsuspecting passers-by. I do wonder if Andy's memory is merging with cartoons of the era. I wonder. Or other depictions. I wonder. <laughs> like, I often think that if you could go back in time and be in your own past, it wouldn't look anything like you think it does. No. And uh, I suspect the truth might be a bit more depressing. But <laughs> yeah, let's skirt yeah. over that and let's, go with this lovely let's. Snufkin, mm. uh, Wanderer um, type character. They, it seemed, were also pushed out into the world with the same one. Weren't they always singing um, King of the Road? <laughs> Once again, I don't think this, that's not for a tramp of the 80s. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> They were, it seemed, also pushed out into the world with the same one line of dialogue. Spare any change? You don't seem to see them so much these days, as the agency closed down. The demographic demographic of the homeless certainly seems to have shifted. For the, ha- for the grimmer, I would say. Yes. And whether it actually has or not, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Maybe it's just now we're all mature enough to see the, <laughs> the, you know, the, the bleak reality yeah, of homelessness. Yeah. Anyway, as It's a, a t- bit like Arthur Fowler and, uh, and yes. et al, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. As a teenager, tramps seemed to hone in on me like a chump-seeking missile. And as a schoolboy, then student, with no Saturday job, too much interaction with people, I never wanted to give them anything. Besides, every adult always repeated the same mantra, don't give to tramps, they'll only spend it on drink. Please don't judge me. Such was the environment of that, the day. That was what people used to say. They did used to say it. And if you, you know, if you ever think like we're going to hell in a handcart, mm. just think how things have got better and people don't say that anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But how to extricate myself from these situations? Once in Sheffield City Centre, I mumbled my intention to give the guy some money when I was propositioned, but then I thought I'd just make a hasty exit. As I got off the neighbouring bench, I thought he wouldn't notice I'd gone. But two minutes later, I felt an aggressive tap on my shoulder. He ad-libbed a bit of dialogue. You said you'd give me some change. A friend just told me to say I didn't have any change on me. First time I tried it, the guy said bitterly and quick as a flash, yes, you do. Fortunately, this one didn't follow me as I scurried away, feeling like a terrible human being. So there's a bit of background on my relationship with tramps in the 80s. Got it. To the story. I'd been to an open day at Hull University. I'd already decided it would be low down on my choices, but the incident that took place in the railway station cafe as I waited for my train home sealed the deal. There was no way I would be coming to the uni here. In fact, it was best to avoid the city altogether for at least the rest of my life. I was sitting with one other guy from my school enjoying a cup of tea when I became aware a member of the Tramp Talent Agency was patrolling the cafe and accosting customers with the familiar phrase of spare any change. I watched as a girl who'd been on the same tour as the university as me opened her purse and handed over a coin. She was clearly not someone blessed with self-confidence and was giving him her money reluctantly out of fear. I quickly dove into my bag of various techniques that would help me avoid donating anything to the agency's Christmas party fund, pat my pockets and say I'm out of change, disappear to the toilets as soon as he approached, pretend to be asleep. As he systematically hassled people at each table and came ever nearer to ours, my anxiety rose to a dangerous level. My brain was scrambled. 
Having the time to think of an excuse was actually making matters worse. My friend looked totally unconcerned, but I was carrying enough concern for 10 people. He had arrived. His hand was outstretched. It felt like I was sinking below the waterline, but through the gurgling noise on my ears, I heard the words change and spare in close proximity. My friend just stayed stum, leaving a gaping hole for me to jump into. Like an out-of-body experience, I heard myself say these words. Sorry, I'm down to my bottom dollar. Where the F <laughs> had that come from? I'd never said that in my life. Unsurprisingly, as I didn't regularly appear in gumshoe detective films of the 1940s. My friend's face broke into a nervous grin. I realised I was in for some mickey taking on the journey home, but I could deal with that. What was slightly more difficult to handle was the way the tramp burst out laughing. His hoarse, raspy laugh echoed around the small cafe, drawing everyone's attention. And he didn't stop laughing for what was probably five seconds, but felt like ten years. His laughter abated, and I thought my humiliation would stop. But this was just so he could spit out the words, down to my bottom (laughs) dollar, again, before doubling up once more in another fit of laughter. He composed himself, then announced to the whole of the cafe's occupants, my friend here is down to his bottom dollar. Cue more laughter, from the tramp at least, though I imagine other people's laughter was being drowned out by his. At this point, one of the female members of staff hurried over. The police are in the next room. If they hear you making all this noise, you'll get in trouble. Her eyes pleaded with him to leave, which, after a brief standoff, he duly did, giggling to himself all the way to the door. My whole being begged for this nightmare from which I would not now wake up. My friend made it clear that it was all too real with the words, well, you made a right tit of yourself there, didn't you? (laughs) This was difficult to deny, but at least after all these years of avoiding giving money to tramps, I could take a tiny bit of comfort in the fact that I'd given him the gift of laughter and in spades. Surely that was worth more than a few (laughs) silver coins. Marvellous. Well... I mean, send us, uh, send us your excruciating moment, your, your abject horror at the thing that fell out of your mouth. It's hello at adriftpodcast.com. Annabelle? Yes. Let's have another way. If you if you care to, mm, I do uh, another way in which you are not a fully functioning adult. So my first car, which I've had for six years, it was a late in life first car. Mm. Failed its MOT and has had to be scrapped. 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 Oh no! I didn't realise what an emotional attachment I had to it. Or Tom, who when I rang, you, you do. I, I, I've noticed an emotional attachment to Tom. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's faint, but it is perceptible. No, to, I'm a very, no. I'm a highly sensitive individual. No, Tom's attachment. Oh, to I God. see. Because when I rang him to tell him, he said, "But will I be able to say goodbye?" Oh, I get it. He's someone who only cries at films, and weirdly, once an episode of Kirsten Phil's Love It or List It. <laughs> I couldn't look when it was taken away because it would just be me hearing his voice going, but but where, where am I going? Are you not? Uh, why are you not coming? I'm coming back, aren't I? Aren't I? Is it going to hurt? <laughs> anyway, that was traumatic to part with our much loved, never broken down, loyal friend of a car. But they were two equally traumatic related incidents. Oh. The first was when I had to actually take the car to the MOT. 
this was stressful, not because of the fear of failing and the cost of repairs. I sort of kind of expected that. It was that the garage is a very narrow turning off a busy road and there's never really anywhere to actually drive the car into. Like it's a really small garage and there are just too many cars in there. So I just drove in as far as I could. And then a young mechanic comes over who looks like he might have just lost his job as an actor on Hollyoaks. And he said, I'll just park it over there around the corner. And he sort of gestures back onto the road and left around the corner, which I'm feeling can't be right. The only thing left around the corner is a bus stop and single yellow lines. But he's walked off again. And my car is blocking the entrance and exit. So I have to do something. So I summon up on my courage and I get out of the car and I find the man again. And I say, sorry, where do you mean? Like I wasn't familiar with the words <laughs> round the corner. And he just says the same words again. And I should have said, but that's yellow lines and a bus stop. But I couldn't because I felt like I was being a goody two shoes. <laughs> and maybe they've got some deal you, with yeah, the council. They might not make out with you later if you think you're a square. <laughs> square a square driver i thought maybe they've got some deal with the council and they're allowed to park cars waiting to be fixed or tested there i'm sure the council are always doing deals like that with garages so i did the only thing i could do i reversed out badly obviously and i parked on a yellow line at this bus stop and then i legged it and then when they called to say the car had failed its MOT so badly, we might as well scrap it. My sadness was tempered by relief that they didn't add. And why the hell did you park it at a bus stop? <laughs> You've been fined. <laughs> so there's that. And then also, because we've got no car now, I did an online shopping delivery for the weekly food job. I don't, you don't do these, do you? Every now and again. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. I, I hate them because not because they bring you food that's about to go off or unripe bananas or weird substitutions. I can cope with all of that. What I can't cope is that they don't bring it in bags anymore. They bring it in these crates and the food's all just loose in the crates and they put it on the doorstep and you then have to take the items out and put them on the floor until you've got this big, messy pile of food kind of blocking your way. And the whole time the driver's just standing there waiting and watching. I find it incredibly awkward. And then once you've emptied one crate, they replace it with another one and the whole thing is repeated maybe three or four times. If anyone's got a better system for this, I would be love to hear it. Wow. What are you saying well for? It's just this whole thing is... is I, I, I hadn't seen... So they just... Everything is loose. Yeah, yeah. They don't use bags anymore. I get, I get why they wouldn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. It seems like we're in a... a a strange interregnum between <laughs> getting rid of the bag and yeah. figuring out yeah, what to how do? to get the food what into the house. It's so true. They really have not figured it out. So I then did the worst thing. I tried to ease the tension with small talk. Oh. Now, I know the reason and you know the reason why they don't have bags anymore. And it is a good thing. It's because of the environment. So yes. use plastics, bad, et cetera, et cetera. And it's something that I try to take seriously. I'm engaged in this issue. I try to understand what's going on. I'm far from perfect, but I do sometimes try to do my bit. Sorry, I figured it out. Here's what they should do. Oh, go on. The crate should be on like some kind of deposit system. Yeah, but then they'd have to have so many crates and that's oh. just more plastic. But they've probably got crates anyway. They're probably... I don't know. Huh? Maybe they it's could... not single use, is it? Yeah. Maybe they could you look at more sustainable crates, but just piling of stuff up on your yeah, doormat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So yeah, the environment. I do. I try to do my bit, and I'm very interested in doing more. And I can get quite stressed out about the future. Yes. So I say to this young delivery guy, who also looks like a Hollyoaks actor, I say, while I'm laboriously taking out every single individual item and putting them behind me in the hallway, I say. I bet it was a lot quicker and easier for you when everything was bagged. And he says, yeah, 
I just don't get why people just can't have them all, all the bags and then just throw them all away, which is the absolute exact opposite <laughs> of what I think. So what do I say in reply? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hate myself. <laughs> I blame the Carlos grief. Is <laughs> that talking, not me? See, I do that sort of thing all the time. Oh. I do that sort of thing all the time when somebody expresses an opinion that I think is abhorrent. <laughs> Who could possibly or go? Diametrically no, but actually, it. it's really bad for them. So you're not going to change his mind. No, I couldn't. So do you it. either go, mm, yeah, see what you mean, or oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I was a bit too yeah. I'd be like, or yeah, why don't like, they throw them away? But that's what it's. You know, when an actor says that they really enjoy get to play and getting to play a real baddie, mm. that's the closest you ever get to that oh. as a non-actor. <laughs> you get to, you know, you get to act out oh. what it's like to be on the dark side. Mm. You know what would fit in one of those crates? What? Your car now. <laughs> Don't, I'm crying. <laughs> hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'd like to just take a brief moment to pause and salute our Patreon supporters. When is the next newsletter? I guess uh, you, I have some recommendations I want to go in it. End of November. Of things that I've been enjoying. Yep, end of November. Okay, well. This month, yeah, in, in a week or so. Oh. A couple of weeks. You you, uh, you tap me up. Well, I've got some things the drifters are going to enjoy. That's one of the things you get is uh, a newsletter full of recommendations from us mm-hmm. to you. Um, we've got a whole bunch of new stuff as well. There's a better way of saying thank you to you if you support us on Patreon. And until the end of the year, everybody supporting us at $2 and above gets everything as a way of saying thank you for sticking with us through the pandemic and uh, and beyond. Mm-hmm. So I never, I never feel entirely comfortable saying and beyond because in some ways we're still in the pandemic. Mm. And I don't know, it's difficult. Post-pandemic it? time. No, it's not even post-pandemic. Well, it is. It, it sort no. of is here, but it's not really because yeah. I know loads of people who've got COVID and then it's a different situation in different parts of the world. So it's hard, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's hard. Let's just assume. Here's what I'd like everybody to assume who listens to this podcast. My heart's in the right place when, with everything that I say. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to correct me. <laughs> because it'll be keeping you awake all night anyway, all the things yeah, that you did yeah, wrong, so don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's all happening. If you would like to support us, of course, the podcast will always be free. Not good breathing then, was it? Because you had me run out of breath. No, I didn't. You'd not tell that I was once professional broadcasting. Mm. Now I'm a uh, semi-professional podcaster. <laughs> um, free. Um you know, the podcast will always be free, but if you enjoy it and you think, actually, I'd like to support them and get some stuff as well mm-hmm. in return yep. as thanks, then go to patreon.com stroke adrift. Now, I had to go to hospital yesterday with my son. I had to take him for a scan. You don't need to worry about it. I'll just put your mind at rest. Flatter. I don't know. Why, why does it feel vain to think that somebody might hear that and then worry? 
It, do you know what I mean? Uh, you probably don't care. And even if you do care, then I'm flattered, but you, it, it's it's all fine. You don't need to worry. Um, but the point was, is he, he needed to have a scan. He needed to have it under a general anaesthetic. And because the hospitals are so backed up, um, it was an NHS appointment, but they referred us to a private hospital to get it done. Oh, okay. So we got sent to a private place. We took a taxi there, and for the last, I would say, five minutes of the journey, I made sure I explained to my son in a very loud voice, in the way that you would simplistically explain to a six-year-old, what I've just explained to you. Mm-hmm. Yes, so it is an NHS appointment. Oh. But, and why was I doing it? Oh. Just in case the taxi driver thought I was going private. <laughs> And judging me for it. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I didn't want him to think hey, I was eroding our NHS. Right. As I uh, as I uh, paid the fare at the end and tipped him, I said, you know, I wish I could tip. Those frontline workers on the NHS, I was out <laughs> clapping for them. Right. But yeah, so I mean, just finding myself so ridiculous mm, mm, mm. for for needing to do a pantomime explanation as to mm. why we were going to a private hospital. Uh, he, he would have probably as picked up on that as well. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. All right, mate. Yeah. <laughs> tone it down. Mate. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe he's like some free market guy mm. who wants to destroy our NHS mm. with private healthcare. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm not. I'm not. Okay. okay. Um. So when we got inside, we're in this waiting room and um, I really need to go to the lavatory and I don't need to go for a quick wee either. Okay. So I go, I do it and I, I don't know what's going on with me at the moment, but it's uh, it's very lively. Very lively at the moment. Irritable bowel syndrome. Do you think? I don't know, probably. <laughs> I mean, it's not an infrequent thing with me, is no, it? Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't destroy the toilet, but I s- certainly look down afterwards and think, oh, we've got a situation here. And there's <laughs> there's no brush. Right. And there's no air freshener. Right. So I make do as best as I can. Hmm. I won't go into that. Let's just... We can all imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, it's it's very much I very much operate on a principle, leave a lavatory the way you found it. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm unable to do that to the standard that I would normally expect of myself. Mm-hmm. Wash my hands. As I came out, um a, a guy in a white white coat goes to come in and I cannot make eye contact with him. Now, actually I don't think that's that weird because I, I can't really make eye contact with anybody going into a cubicle I've just used anyway. No, no. That, I think it would be weird yeah, too. Yeah. It would be quite creepy to make eye contact with somebody yeah, in that situation. Yeah, and hold it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there's something that feels especially bad about like a medical professional having to go in. Because they should be clean and now they're going to be unclean. Yeah, I just think they live with enough. You know, they mm. deal with enough. Mm. So they really need to experience that as well. So, uh, so that wasn't great. So back to the waiting room and... Um, and after a few minutes, the radiographer comes in, the anaesthetist or whatever it is. It's the same guy. Oh, no. And I didn't make eye contact oh, with no. the same guy. Oh, that's really embarrassing. He didn't bring it up. Of course he didn't. What was he going to say? Oh, you know. again, old stinky. Yeah, I think it was in his eyes, though. <laughs> oh, right. And then I wondered if he might just be uh, a little heavy-handed with the anaesthetist. Oh, you know, <laughs> not do as good a job. 
as revenge. <laughs> I don't they don't. Is that part of the Hippocratic Oath? I really think that wouldn't happen. Yeah. You don't. You don't. Um, what's the phrase? Visit the sins of the father on the child. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that didn't even cross his mind. Shall I visit the sins well, of the I father? The, no, I yeah. can't. I mean, that was uh, that was thirty six hours ago at this point. Okay. And my son hasn't still. He hasn't come round yet. Oh, just but, no, not really. <laughs> 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 Quandary Corner at the Glap Clinic here in Problematic, then. First one is from Honourable Empress Lucy. I come to you with a distressing problem. I live in an old tenement flat. I own my house and live there with my two kids, aged 10 and 11, and Zaza the cat. The flat next door has two lovely students in it for four years. They occasionally party, but they were cool. We then had two other students, a German and Italian girl, for the last nine months. They liked to party, but their tunes were good and they were sweet. Now, oh God, now, we have new students. I assume I haven't met them in person. They like to make love at 3am, almost on the dot, loudly. Their room backs onto a room that's split between me, 33 years old, full-time working old lady person, and my 10-year-old son. I have now been woken up twice by the loud lovemaking. It's quite long-winded. Good for them. But I then struggle to get back to sleep and secretly want to kill them. What can I do? Do I put a note through the door saying, FYI, the walls are thin. I love that you love each other, but can you do it quieter? Do I bash on the wall and tell them to shut up? Do I ignore it and hope like every couple that their sex life settles down? What do I do? You make sex noises at 10 to 3. Ten, so you set your alarm for 10 to 3. Yeah. And you make your own like, sex pretend noises. sex noises. Yeah, yeah. So it, complete, it completely puts them off wanting to do it yeah. themselves. Yeah. What's going on with the three o'clock thing? Like the regularity of it. That's weird. It's very strange, isn't it? Yeah, that is weird. What could that be? Are they coming home Body from clock. work at that time? Um, hang on. So three o'clock, um, three a.m. Just let me do. Mm. So that would be, um, say, let's see, four a.m. In, uh, for example, Copenhagen. <laughs> I was really hoping you did. No. I was thinking maybe we're like synchronising with people in different time zones. Right. You know, they're doing a Zoom. They're doing Zoom sex. I think we're, is that we're, a thing, Zoom sex? Of course Everybody it is. in a little box? Of course it is. Yeah. A Zoom orgy. <laughs> do people do Zoom orgies? They should. They must You do. should monetize that. You should pivot. How? You should pivot your business to Zoom orgies. <laughs> pivot. That's quite the pivot. Look <laughs> <laughs> uh. at okay, Elon Musk. Mm, I don't know. He's, he's pivoted all over the place, hasn't he? Yeah. Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll think about it. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. Now, I, I, the only reason like, I was intrigued by the 3M, but then I thought by mentioning it, it might lead us into a solution for some reason. Like if we could find out why they're doing it at 3M every day, we could find out a way to Jet lagged? Are they jet lagged? Mm, they haven't been there very long. Uh-huh. I like your idea of making them feel repulsed so they no longer feel like indulging. Well, it was less repulsive. than it was oh. more them, them hearing somebody else's sex noises might um, make them think, oh, we are perhaps heard. more audible than we think. Maybe they're waiting till 3am out of respect because they think everyone will be asleep. Oh, uh, maybe. Yes, so I, I think you're the problem. <laughs> Earplugs. But I think I think you're right in that we shouldn't be thinking of a way to stop them. We should be thinking of a way for them to do it quietly. Mm. Post lots of egg boxes through their door. 
Oh, yeah, egg boxes are good for soundproofing, aren't they? And then they could stick them up on their walls. Yep. Could be quite a good hint. Yep. Maybe you could buy them some... There's like bondage gags that look like ping-pong balls that go in people's mouths. Oh, yeah, that might keep them They could incorporate them into the lovemaking and it would spice things up a bit. You could watch how they've won a competition. And send them and say, well done, congratulations, you won these in the competition. And they'll be like, oh, I don't remember entering Or better it. still, you could just give it to them and say, listen, I can, I can tell that you're real sex enthusiasts. Oh, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> Who could do that? Could you do that? So I thought you might like some of the Creepy. stuff. Creepy. I've got a friend who works in a dungeon. Creepy. I think. Creepy. Whenever they upgrade. <laughs> it's all been disinfected. Oh, my God. No? Let's go back. Let's just use... The most obvious response. Mm. Anonymous letter. Great. Mm. Let's move on. Could you could you without sort of filling in your kid on on the detail, mm. could you um prime your kid that say next time we see those neighbours in the hallway, mm. just say to me, Mom, I think I heard ghosts. At three o'clock this morning. Oh, I like that. And then they'll be yeah, mortified. really mortified. Yes. I like this. Okay, okay. Many, many suggestions. Yeah, yeah, many, many. You just try them all until you find the one that works. Okay. And the next one's from Anon. I'm a PhD student at a mid-sized provincial university in a department with two professors. Three years ago, when I'd been confronted with the difficult decision of where to pursue my dissertation, I was promised to find a vibrant and thriving academic environment at this very place. So I declined the alternative offers, packed my bags and moved there. Unfortunately, however, this promise soon turned out to be an illusion. To get in touch with Professor Number One, who is supposed to supervise me, I have to camp outside his office and then harass him once he's coming because he doesn't reply to emails or keep deadlines and appointments. This, however, is not due to his lavish academic output, but mainly because of his chaotic personal life. Professor number two is no help either. Since his highly acclaimed PhD thesis published 15 years ago and attaining a professorship, he hasn't managed to publish a single line. To satisfy his insatiable need for affirmation and admiration, he is reliant on a vast crowd of obedient students. In order to get a laugh, one of his favourite running gags is to ridicule my PhD topic, which is, I must admit, a bit remote, but relevant nonetheless. After briefly having fallen for his charismatic demeanour initially, I decided that neither him nor his obedient followers would do me any good and to rather seek friends and academics elsewhere. Academic allies elsewhere. Recently, though, I was again confronted with the trials and tribulations of group interaction. Every year, Professor Number 2 throws a summer party with barbecue and drinks at his private mansion, where everyone is basking in the glory of the host. Having endured a couple of painful forced interactions like this in the past years... How did you get a private mansion? I was thinking a mansion this. after a professorship based on one paper 15 years I'm ago. I'm fascinated by this. I mean, Surely maybe... you're doing TED Talks and uh, speaking at Davos and publishing books and if, if you've got mansion money... Maybe he comes from old money. Oh, I Ma- bet old married money. into money. Old money, Bitcoin. Yeah, Bitcoin. <laughs> I bet his PhD was about Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where everyone is basking in the glory of the host. Having endured a couple of painful forced interactions like this in the past years, this time I decided to do the only reasonable thing and skip a party. I don't like the people. I don't want to spend the evening with them. It's just a waste of time. When I got the email of invitation, I therefore swiftly announced my absence with a brief, thank you very much for the invitation. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be there. As it so happens, it's customary that on occasion of this party, all students in the department contribute five euros towards a thank you gift to the professorial board. 
As such gifts often are, this is utterly pointless and in personal token, usually consisting of exclusive pralines. I never know how pralines, to say that. Praline, isn't pralines. Pralines. Or, and I can say this, expensive wine. Five days after the party had been taking place, a message was circulated via the student mailing list. Those of you who haven't paid their five euro contribution to the thank you gift, please do ASAP. I briefly ruminated about it, but soon came to the conclusion that I could safely ignore it since I hadn't attended the party and never agreed to contribute to the present. Another two days later, though, another message reached me. Reminder, those of you who still haven't paid, please do immediately. Even though I was never explicitly addressed in any of those emails, the passive-aggressive tone made me assume that they were directed towards me, the only person who's not joining the regular student lunches and group gatherings. How am I to decide in this dilemma? Either pay the five euros to publicly clear my conscience, even though I didn't attend the party and do not feel any gratitude or obligation to any of these people, or keep ignoring the messages, but risk giving an impression of being cheap and not wanting to contribute to the community spirit, which will make me an even greater outcast than I already am in this department. I think sticking to your guns is overrated. <laughs> I mean, like, here's what the five euros is doing. Mm. It's buying you. It's, you're not contributing to whatever it is. Mm. You're paying to have that taken out of your brain. Now, it will maybe be like a bit of residual, residual resentment left behind. Mm. But that's probably less than all this angst about passive aggression and what will people think? Will people think I'm tight? Pay pay the five euros mm-hmm. and think of it. And, and then, I don't know, do something spiteful at some stage in the future. There are other ways around this. It's yeah. just, I totally agree. It's just giving you, it's just getting it out of your head yeah. and moving think on. Of, think of something nice and spiteful you can do. Mm, spiteful. Mm. <laughs> Revenge. Mm. Yeah. Maybe, um, maybe, uh, um, brainstorm some zingers about his phd 15 years ago yeah that the next time he uh tries it on yeah thing is it won't come out of your mouth well <laughs> that's the thing no you could rehearse it but then hire hire um hire, hire a bit part actor hire somebody to, to come in and pose as the uh the new dean <laughs> who's going to shake things up <laughs> And he shoots from the hip about this guy's PhD. <laughs> what? Wow, the lengths your brain would go to for a little bit of petty revenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hiring an actor. Maybe have a have a barbed remark about this guy's PhD mm. made into a huge banner mm. and then anon- anonymously deliver it to uh, to the nearest frat house. <laughs> I, I'm not in academia. I don't know how these things work. <laughs> I know there are deans and frat houses. Right, right. There are deans. Yeah, so what? Well, come on then. You, I'm doing all the heavy lifting here. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I think you're basing it on maybe some films that you've seen in the 90s. This 80s. The, ba- the, ba- the 80s. The, the banners like and the frat houses. Porkies. Yeah. <laughs> Amiga and Beta and like, yeah, is that yeah. what they were all called? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Beta Theta Pi. Yeah, I don't I don't think she's in that kind of environment. The fact she says Euro suggests that maybe it's not in America. It's a more refined European campus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, no, I, th- I, I just, I would just pay it. I just want to know what your PhD it. is. I won't judge it. Mm. I would not make fun of it. No. But I really would like to know. Okay. It's a real unclosed loop in my mind Mm-mm. that's going to drive me to distraction far more than this whole email thing <laughs> with you. So you do need to email back and let us know. 
And that was our podcast. Thank you for listening. If you have a quandary for Quandary Corner, I think we really showed what we can do this week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, or if you have a story of any time you've tried to pass as a normal human, you've tried to interact with other members of society and it's gone badly also machines animals whatever it is um send us your stories of failed interaction it's hello at adriftpodcast.com and we are a bit short at the moment actually so that would be gratefully received oh what is it oh it's all over it's all over it's finished seriously <laughs> no 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 that is you know it's just we're a bit short okay yeah uh, i like to have a full supply you like you like the bulldog clip to be uh, exactly. to be full don't yeah, you so for, for the quandaries and for the stories yeah yeah, yeah. but the cupboard's a little bare you you're In sitting both. there like old Mother Hubbard over there, are you? Yeah. Let's... And if you want a podication in December as well. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Getting a bit beggy, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Uh, hello at adriftpodcast.com. Thanks to Man in the Echo for the backing music and to Emily Harrison for the incidental music. Carla Gowlett took our photos. Kim Rainey designed our artwork. Um, and you can support us on Patreon if that takes your fancy. We appreciate it hugely, and hopefully we've got some good stuff in return for you. Um, you can do that by going to patreon.com stroke adrift. Uh, I, don't, I don't like to beg, but uh, but sorry, I'm, I'm down to my bottom dollar. This week's podication comes from our friend Joseph Gorsi, keeper of the archive, fine fellow, the redoubtable Joseph Gorsi, who says, Hi, Jeff and Annabelle. I hope you're both well. I'd like to request a podication for my oldest friend, Sarah Duncan. Unfortunately, Sarah passed away earlier this year. She had a cardiac arrest at the beginning of July and was in hospital recovering. All things were looking good for her recovery, and I was waiting to hear when she could have visitors outside the family when she suffered another cardiac arrest and passed away on the 21st of July at the age of 44. How terrible, Joseph. Um, Sarah and I first met when we were 11. We went to an evening badminton class after primary school, and when Sarah got her hair caught in the floor-to-ceiling nets that divided up the courts, I untangled her and got her out. That story always used to embarrass me, but she would love telling it whenever we met someone new. I think it's a really... I mean, unless I'm missing something, it's just a nice story. In secondary school, we shared most classes together, studied together and hung out together at the weekends. In the latter days of school, I persuaded her to work with me at the community centre. She persuaded me to take drama as a subject and to perform in the school's annual lip sync event. As a drifter, you can imagine how outside of my comfort zone being up on stage was, especially as I somehow ended up sinking to Monty Python's Lumberjack song, but Sarah had a way of making you feel like you just could. When we left school, Sarah started singing regularly at a music club in Aberdeen and she introduced me to her drama school friends and I'd take my uni friends to see her. She was always really into music, and the credible half of my musical tastes are down to her influence. Sarah eventually moved to London with her partner at the time. So she was able to give a lot of moral support when I moved down, and she was there for me when my marriage broke down shortly after that. Sarah was the one who put me onto a dating site shortly after that, or so without her, I would never have met my wife Liz or had the life I have now. If I put a podication 
into Sarah when she was alive, she would never have heard it as she was the most undrifter-like person I knew. It seemed like she knew everyone who worked for the NHS in London, as even though she worked at St George's Hospital in Tooting, when I worked for NHS Westminster, I would meet people who she'd worked with. And even now, Liz keeps getting asked how she knows Sarah by people she works with at University College London Hospital. Sarah was so well-loved that the Wandsworth Carers Centre, where she worked before she died, have announced... that all staff will get an extra day of leave every year called Sarah Duncan Day. They're going to write into their policies and procedures explaining who Sarah was and what she gave to the centre. I've always loved Sarah, but it's not until someone's gone that you really reflect on your life together and realise just how much of an impact they've had. So much of who I am today is thanks to Sarah, and now that she's gone, I feel like I've lost a part of myself too. Due to me being extremely ill for six months, shortly followed by the pandemic, I hadn't seen Sarah for several years. We'd always talk or message each other on our birthdays, though, and I would love to have this podication so that everyone can hear just how wonderful she really was. Many thanks and all the best wishes, Joseph Gorsey. He's certainly done a very good job of painting a picture who he was, and she sounds amazing. It's intense. Yeah. You know, I think I've said before, one of my favourite films, which I will go to the pictures and watch this Christmas, as I have pretty much every Christmas, I think, apart from the one where there was a lockdown for the last like 30 years or something, is It's a Wonderful Life, and it's all about... You know, the, the the ripples you have and the people you touch and the way you don't realise it, but you're changing the world. And I think that's more true of some people th- than others. Like, you know, we, we all obviously affect the people closest to us. Um, but then there are, there are some people who are like a little bit magic, I think, who it, it's, it's more than that. And she just sounds like one of those people – you know, that the place you worked are going to have a day. You know, it's amazing, yeah. There are some people, I think, who, who just... They, they they fill such a space, you, you can't let there be a vacuum where, where there was, because where they, where they were. Um, I'm, really so, I'm really sorry, Joseph. It's, the other thing I was really thinking about as I was reading that was just... You know, we're all getting older. And you you know, what you f- what you f- find is like you you're so entwined. Like your your roots and your branches and everything are so entwined with the people who've been around such a long time. Like I'm just you know, I th- I think I've said to you before now and about that, like I think things have happened to me that have happened to you, and I think vice versa. Like we, <laughs> we're so close. Mm. And, you know, there are definitely points at which the people you you really love and have really mattered, you in some ways become indistinguishable from them. They've given so much to you. Mm. It's not that you're, you know, you're you're, um, kind of body snatching bits of their personality. It's just that, you know, they are you in some ways. And there's sometimes some comfort in thinking that's how people 
live on but also you know knowing that you you're not going to message on your birthday again or mm. have those calls is so hard but you know what a person to have had in your life and it takes a long time i think to um to see it like that even even though you can kind of intellectually think well I'm, I'm lucky to you don't feel like that you just feel desperately desperately sad that they've gone but you know again that feels like a platitude but th- there will be a point joseph where where you know that that's what it will mainly feel like yeah what what an incredible person to have kind of grown with and to have made you you in that oh, I don't know. I mean, you wrote it better than I do. I'm just waffling, aren't I? But yeah, what a, what an incredible email and what a desperately, desperately sad story. So yeah, of course we will podicate this to Sarah Duncan in the knowledge that she she would never have listened to this. No, she would thought this was a right old load of nonsense. <laughs> Why are these people navel gazing <laughs> and getting themselves in knots? over this stuff when they could be out there living mm. and um, and making the impression on other people that Sarah so obviously did. So with with um, with great, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? Sympathy, condolence. These, those words always feel so... Formal. F- both formal and, and um, insubstantial or something. Yes, yes. Do you know what I mean? But, we need to get some new ones. Yeah, we do. Yeah. But... Uh, um, we're sending you all our love, Joseph. It yes. was an incredibly hard thing to have gone through, but what an amazing person to have had in your life. So that's the latest dish of the podcast, podcast Sarah Duncan from Joseph Gorsi. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.